It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition, the Sunday edition. Justin Ferguson right here in Louisville, however you want to pronounce it, Louisville, 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 uh, Louisville, Kentucky, um, here on this Sunday morning on the way back to Auburn later today. Painter Sharpless checking in from Parts Unknown. Hello, Painter. Hello, brother. So Louisville, not Lexington? So okay, so I flew into Louisville, mm-hmm. which, by the way, one of one of the more hilarious flights you can have. Not as good as Atlanta to Montgomery, which is the funniest flight in in the world. But like, I think we were in the air between Atlanta and and Louisville. It was like it's like forty five or fifty minutes in the air. Um, which you know got a good deal on the flight. I, I when I got on the plane and la- when we landed in Louisville, I looked up and I was like, "Man, that was really quick." And then I realized, like, yeah, I just saved myself like seven or eight hours of driving uh, by doing that. So, shout out to air transportation when it works, uh, which has not always been a guarantee here uh, recently. But um, yeah, so in, in Louisville, um, Lexington's about an hour away. Um, so I, I've stayed kind of in between. I'm on the edge of Louisville, but. Uh, came back, you know, went, went to Saturday, went to Rupp Arena for the first time. It was a great experience, um, you know, to go somewhere and cover a game there where I am, you know, I've always wanted to cover, uh, I've always wanted to be, you know, go to Rupp Arena. It is kind of one of the, the, um, the meccas of college basketball. And so that was a really cool experience. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And we'll talk about the game itself because I think if you're an Auburn fan and there were a decent number of you there. Uh, including some of you who are um, observer subscribers, inner circle members, um, not a whole lot of not not a whole lot of positives from the Auburn perspective, um, outside, especially outside of the first fifteen minutes and what has been you know, really the most lopsided Auburn basketball loss in years, plural. Um, Auburn losing by a score of uh, Auburn losing by a score of 86 to 54 at Kentucky. And we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about, uh, towards the end of the podcast. Hey, by the time you may be listening to this on, if you're listening to it on Monday, spring football will be underway. And Auburn's got its first, uh, spring football practice on Monday. We will talk to you about that. Kind of do some preview stuff there as we look ahead, uh, to the first, um, to the first spring, spring ball under, uh, the new coaching staff. Uh, but appreciate everybody listening right off the top. Rate, review, subscribe. Give us five stars on Apple. Uh, drop us uh, a nice written review. Uh, give us five stars on Spotify. It helps us out tremendously. Um, gets more people, uh, eyes and ears on the product. And, uh, you know, we really, really appreciate all of you who do listen to us and support us. You can also get a subscription to The Observer. We'll talk a little bit more about that later because I've got something uh, to tell all of you, uh, who might be on the fence or maybe, you know, considering, uh, getting a subscription. I'll tell you a little about a little something later that you might want to check out. All right. Auburn loses 86, 54 at Kentucky painter. This, I, I think the best way to describe this game is that if you went into it and said, here's all the things that could really give Auburn trouble and really could be a problem for Auburn and Rupp arena, including, the fact that they were playing in Rupp Arena. If you listed all of them out, I think Auburn checked off pretty much all of them. Outside of maybe get off to a bad start, 
because first 15 minutes of the game, they were very competitive with, with Kentucky. They're actually up, uh, I think it was 24-23 at one point. Um, Auburn was not like lighting the world on fire, but they were trading punches uh, with Kentucky. And then Kentucky goes on a run late in the first half um, and takes a, takes a double-digit lead into, into the locker room. And then coming out, Auburn gives up a big run, and it was just over from there. Uh, and then a blowout. At one point, Auburn was down by 40. Um, you know, 8-0 run at the end of the game prevents Auburn from what it what would have been the biggest loss in terms of margin of victory in the Bruce Pearl era. You're also talking about this is one of Auburn's worst performances since really since before they made the NCAA tournament for the first time um, uh, under Bruce Pearl. It was bad. It was bad pretty much all the way around. But like I said, it felt like a game where it's like, all right, if you could look at the matchup and see all the ways that Kentucky would really get after Auburn and make life hard for Auburn, they did that. And on top of that, I think um, in the second half, Auburn just packed it up. And, and, and for the first time all season, and for the, really for the first time in a while, I think we, we saw this Auburn team look around and just, and just not give the effort and not give um, the energy – that you have expected to see this team play with on the road because they got down by twenty something in a in a house of horrors. Kentucky was playing really well and it was it was just over. We talked about this before we started recording, Vayner. It's just like, you know, at some point you kind of you have to look up and look around and say, okay, we're not coming back in this one. And I think that I think you saw that from Auburn, and and you don't see that very often. And no coach wants to see that from his team. Bruce Pearl called that out afterwards, but like also. It really was evident that like this was not going to go in Auburn's favor. So by twenty or thirty or forty, it was going to be a blowout, and uh, it, it was towards more the the end range of it. Yeah, it was a culmination of of I think getting beat soundly in this game, and also probably some of these other close losses over the last four weeks or so piling up mentally. I think there is just a certain yeah. element where you're like, I'm I'm ready to go home. Yeah, I mean, and I think the effort. And the energy that Auburn played with for most of the second half, I think, resulted in that. Here's the thing about Kentucky. They're good. They're really talented. At the beginning of the season, they were struggling. They were trying to figure some things out. But here's what we know about Kentucky. They have a roster that is really talented. Uh, Oscar Shibway is defending National Player of the Year and is playing like the National Player of the Year again. Kaysen Wallace is a 6'4 point guard who was probably an NBA lottery pick, five-star freshman. They've got a few other really highly rated freshmen on this team uh, that played. They had some transfers that have really clicked. Antonio Reeves, for one, um, just his ability to shoot uh, really changed it. We'll talk about that in a moment because I know it's on a lot of Auburn fans' minds, especially a guy like Antonio Reeves. Um, This is a really talented roster, and – this Auburn team, without Jabari Smith, without Walker Kessler, they don't have the NBA talent or at least the returning player of the year type talent that Kentucky has. And so here's the thing about it. It's it's not that, you know, it's not that you can't beat teams that are really, really talented. It's A, when you play them. B, where you play them, and C, what do you do when you play them? Let's take, for example, Auburn played Arkansas at probably the best time of year to play Arkansas this year. Very, very talented Arkansas team. Whole lot of whole lot of five-star freshmen. Had some big transfers as well. And Auburn beat them at home. 
they had to play Kentucky at the end of the season, Andre, once Kentucky has started to figure th- some things out again, and they're playing really well. This is a team that's playing like top 10 offense in college basketball right now, uh, and their defense is getting better. When you don't have the talent, just the pure talent and size and athleticism that Kentucky, and few do, but when you don't have that, you have to play really good team basketball. You have to play really good. Uh, you have to do a lot of the dirty work. You have to get a lot of the 50-50 balls. But you got to play really sound team basketball on both ends of the floor. You got to you got to be able to punch with these teams in a lot of like rebounding, defense, stuff like that. And Auburn didn't. Now, in the first 15 minutes of the game, they did. When Jalen Williams had that putback dunk at about the you know, about 15 minutes into the game, and Auburn t- uh, Auburn was in the lead. They were even with Kentucky on the boards. And then they finished the game losing the losing the rebounding battle 41 to 23. At one point in time, Oscar Sheebway had as many rebounds, almost as many rebounds as Auburn did as a team. And so when you are going one and done on these possessions and the other team is getting look after look whenever they do miss shots, that means a ton. And so for Auburn, we have seen them this season play some games and win some games against teams like Arkansas. I think Arkansas is the best example of this. We saw them against Tennessee. We saw them do this against Alabama uh, for most of the game. You've got to play really good, sound team basketball for the majority of the game, and you've got to hustle and do the dirty work and, and do a lot of that stuff to hang with them to overcome the fact that you are not as naturally talented you're not as big you're not as athletic you're not you're, you may not be as physical as a team like Kentucky and this really bore itself out in this game because after the first 15 minutes Auburn was not connected on offense uh, they did not play well on defense um, you know making mistakes weren't connected weren't communicating and it all just kind of snowballed on them so like I said, everything that could have gone wrong for Auburn in this game did with the matchup, and then Auburn didn't cover itself in glory either by not doing the things you have to do when you are, as Bruce Pearl said after the after the game, this is a team that has been able to scrap and claw and 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 you know really punch above their weight in some games. That last part was me. He said punch, you know, scratch and claw, but they have been able to punch punch above their weight in some of these games this season because with their experience and with their chemistry, they've been able to kind of, you know, overcome a lot of that. Even when they haven't been winning this game, I mean, you have to bring that in. You you really have to double down on that when you play a team as talented and as athletic as Kentucky does. And they didn't. And that's why they lost by 32 instead of losing by like four or five again. Like that, that, that is what the big difference in this game was, is that, they were no longer doing a lot of the stuff that got them to this point. And that is, I know really frustrating not only for Bruce Pearl but a lot probably for a lot of Auburn fans to watch this game. I think most Auburn fans have come around over the last few weeks about what this team is and although it doesn't stop that sting of disappointment especially watching your team get pounded on the road is always a bad feeling you know uh, seeing the pop from the fans as they hit shot after shot and you just sort of uh try your best to get anything near the basket. I mean, all, all of that uh, warrants the frustration and obviously at times 
criticism that the team has received. At, at the same time, I don't know what other angle there is to take on this team. They're clearly a few pieces away, as we've highlighted. Some of that is lack of development or a lack of production that you probably assumed you might get from some players that you did not want to recruit over. Another, of course, as you've highlighted, is the Chance Westry. I mean, you know, at this point, it's, it, it is beating a dead horse. Uh, but boy, it really did all come together in a way that feels icky right at the end of the year when you needed something most. I mean, we talked about this on the last episode. The vibes you could have gotten out of this would have been oh, tremendous because you just don't yeah. typically win at Rupp. Um, nope. Only done it twice. And, of course, instead of even getting in the ballpark of, of those vibes, you went the other direction. I think the game itself, the big thing for me was that this matchup, the backcourt, right? And there's been a lot of talk about the backcourt this season for Auburn. And, and, I, and I'll go one through three. You know, what Auburn's got, and we saw this in the first 20, for, I'm sorry, the first 15 minutes of the game. Jani Broom and, and Jalen Williams were playing really well. Those are your two best offensive weapons. Those are your two most consistent offensive weapons. The problem is, is that they're both front court players, and they're both guys that depend on other people creating for them. Now, Jalen, Jalen can dribble. Jalen can attack off the bounce, but he's good at catch and shoot. He's good at getting those post up opportunities. Like that, that's his game. He's not, you know, he's not a he's not a Jabari Smith. He's not a you know, a, a slashing four. And then, of course, Jani Broom in this game, back to the basket is his best best a- attribute. Auburn tried to do a lot of what they did last season against Oscar Shibway and with the pick-and-roll game, and there were two elements to this. Number one, Jani Broom is not the pick-and-roll guy, rim runner, that Walker Kessler is, and so they weren't as effective in doing that. And then number two, Cason Wallace being about a foot, a half a foot taller than Wendell Green Jr., that changes the dynamic of that 1-5 pick and roll than it was last season when you were going up against Severe Wheeler or Ty Ty Washington when he was still healthy. And so Auburn tried to run a lot of that, and it just wasn't as working as much. Meanwhile, the post-up back to the back, like that's Janai's game. And Broom has been your best scorer this year. I mean, heading into this game, we were talking about how well he has played this season. And that he's probably a, you know, probably like a second team All SEC big man. You lost Jabari Smith and you lost Walker Kessler this past season. Your four and your five are still your two best players, but they're not quite the same. And also at one through three, you were expecting that experience to take that step forward for you. And in this matchup, you know, like I said, Wendell Green Jr. is half a foot shorter than Casey Wallace is. And Case Wallace is, you know, five star, potentially an NBA lottery pick this year. This game really showed that like Auburn's experience has not been able to make up for the gaps that they may have in size and athleticism and production from the backcourt. Now, I'll also say this there have been games this season where you can point to pretty much everybody on that backcourt and say they won you games, or there. I mean, there have been times where Wendell Green Jr. has looked like one of the better point guards in the SEC. There have been times where Alan Flanagan has been excellent, uh, at being a two-way wing. 
There have been times where Katie Johnson has given you a lot off the bench. The problem is, is that consistently it hasn't kind of been all together. And in a matchup where the other side has got, it's just got more production and more, um, you know, more recruiting talent than you, more size, more athleticism, those matchups really bear itself out in a game like this. And it's tough. It's tough because, look, I mean, if you look at this backcourt for Auburn for most of the season, I think a lot of people have looked up and said, you know what, they they don't quite, like you said earlier, maybe a piece or two away, um, you know, consistency, you know, you don't always have it. And, like, this Auburn team is – Nine and seven in the SEC, their backcourt is good enough to beat a lot of teams in the SEC. Okay, or the majority of probably the majority of teams they have in the SEC. Now that's not a hundred percent perfect, but against the best of the best, they have not taken those steps forward. Meanwhile, you aren't leaning on two of the best players in the country in your front court. You're leaning on two really good players in Jalen Williams and Jani Broom, but it's a difference. And that's where you've kind of seen the step back this year from Auburn because you haven't been able to overcome that. You haven't been able to overcome those things. Why haven't you been able to overcome those things? Well, you stuck to the guys that you have. And Bruce Pearl has talked about this, about recruiting and about um, like the transfer portal and, and elsewhere. Auburn went after guys in the portal. I mean, they were linked to guys like Eric Stevenson, Antonio Ertz, guys that have like busted Auburn this year with their shooting. Auburn was unable to land them as much because they were bringing back so many guys, and it's tough to go into the transfer portal and tell and tell a guy, you know what? No, you're probably not going to play 35 minutes a game here. You might be able to. Th- I mean, Reeves and Stevenson are playing that much at West Virginia and Kentucky. Those are just two examples. It's tougher to do that because you had guards that were that helped you win an SEC championship last season, and then to go and try to recruit over their heads. Bruce Pearl made a point that he was not going to do that. Now, they wanted to help out this this roster. They wanted to, you know, add more talent to this roster. And it just hasn't clicked. And it didn't, you know, it wasn't like they weren't able to get that that extra piece in the transfer portal. And additionally, this game, I think more than any other game we've seen Auburn play this year, I think this game showed how much you miss Chance Westry. Like, this game was the, oh, dear, it would have been nice to have him game if he were Auburn. Because in this matchup, Auburn had four assists. Four. To tell you how small that is, that ties the lowest they've ever had under Bruce Pearl in a game. And it was the game where they got it was the worst loss I, I had originally said it was a Florida loss I, I, my eyes skipped over a postseason game they got beat his second season by 39 to Tennessee in the SEC tournament that was the only other time that a Pearl team had had this few assists and a big reason for that is because all uh, Kentucky made an effort to take the ball out of Wendell Green Jr.'s hands to use their size and their physicality in their backcourt to really give them trouble. And the problem is, is that Auburn at the two and the three and elsewhere on the floor just did not have the playmaking to give him much help. As Bruce Pearl said after the game, I think this is a really, really good, really telling quote about this team. He said, 
We go as Wendell goes, obviously, and Wendell struggled. But obviously, he didn't have a lot of help. Wendell did not have, his shots weren't falling. He was getting to the rim, and those layups weren't going down. And it was frustrating, and you could tell it was frustrating, and things weren't kind of picking up for him. But Kentucky was throwing a ton at him and that size. And if you could see, man, it would be helpful if Auburn had a 6'6 playmaker on the wing that they could use to counter teams like Kentucky. It's Chance Westry. And right now, Chance has been shut down, or hasn't been, at least has not been dressing out for the last few weeks because Auburn's going to be in a position to potentially redshirt him uh, because that knee, he missed so much time with his knee. And when they brought him back, it just it wasn't clicking for him. And so the best move for him was to not try to force him into a situation where he's barely playing or maybe not even playing at all in a rotation, but instead shutting him down, get him a red shirt, making the best decision for him and, and his eligibility. You really miss that in this game because, yes, Wendell Green Jr. did not have a great game. Um, and... Think he struggled in a lot of ways, but also, like as per se, didn't have a whole lot of help. You didn't get much out of your twos. You didn't get hardly anything out of your twos uh, until you know KD hit a couple shots in the second half. And it's just you have to be able to ease the pressure off your point guard, especially a five eleven point guard, when the other team has a six four six five point guard and they have other big long wings that they're going to try to get after him with, and so. It was kind of a nightmare scenario for Auburn when PG1's not playing well, and on top of that, the other team just has so much at their disposal that can really, really keep you from from having uh, any sort of consistent offensive production this game. I also think an undercurrent of this season, in addition to Auburn underachieving, I think from what most of us, certainly a lot of fans thought was going to be a more competitive season, your rival's really good. Your rival's playing fun basketball. Uh, None of that really matters in you getting pounded by a superior Kentucky team on the road. I do think, though, as you look up and it it appears with that A&M loss that uh, Alabama has essentially secured uh, an SEC title in the regular season. You know they still got to play A and M, and it's possible that Auburn could beat them. But I think most of us don't expect that to happen, given where the game's playing and how those two teams are playing. I, I, I think that that affects the psyche of a lot of Auburn fans. It definitely does, and I think it's one of those things where you look up and see Alabama with an elite freshman playing well, and you have they they hit the transfer portal really well, and they rebuilt from what was a step back last season. I mean, Alabama was a team last year that kind of like Auburn this year had a lot of frustrating losses, um, weren't up to the standard that they thought, and then they went out and fixed it and, and revamped the roster and popped right back in so I think that's the thing where it's like you never want to if you're an Auburn fan you never want to see Alabama you know be ultra successful but I think it's also an example of like hey these things can turn around quickly and you can bounce back from a frustrating I mean look two years ago Auburn struggles through the COVID year a lot of weird stuff and a lot of and a lot of things didn't go their way that year then they go win the SEC title now thing is is that currently Auburn has Aiden Holloway coming in, and that Aiden Holloway is, you know, 
McDonald's All-American type of player, really, really good, um, you know, elite freshman that you potentially come in. But it's going to be what do they do on top of that? And obviously, you don't want to sit here. I mean, you've got two games left in the regular season. You got a postseason to play. But there's going to be a lot of like, okay, what does Auburn's roster do? Who comes back? Who decides? You know, I mean, there's some guys with some COVID years that they could come back. There's some guys that may be on the bench that might not be around next season just because you could get more playing time elsewhere. By the way, while Auburn was getting going uh, on on CBS, how about Arizona State? Devin Cambridge, uh, then beating Arizona. Devin's brother hitting a ridiculous uh, buzzer beater uh, to win that game on the road. Again, there's there might be some opportunities for guys to do like what Devin Cambridge did, to do what I mean, you've seen like Jamal Johnson and uh, Javon Franklin and some others where, you know, it's just natural that you may see some some uh, attrition just because of the way the transfer portal is. But you still got a season left to play, obviously. But, yeah, I just think this game, when you look at offensively, the frustration there, when you can't – I mean, your two best players in terms of recruiting ranking aren't in your rotation right now. One of them – is a dude who got hurt at the worst possible time and wasn't able to fully get back into it. Another one in Yoan Treor is, you know, I think the transition to a new position at the college level, it's just, it, it didn't click for him this year. And that makes a big difference because, again, you can sit here and say, well, Auburn should have done X, Y, and Z in the transfer portal. They should have done this, this, and this. But also, you're also looking at, at a situation where this Auburn roster was supposed to have more talent and more guys at their disposal this season and they just haven't and that and you got to talk about that especially in a matchup like this one where size athleticism and just raw talent meant a lot for Kentucky Auburn had you know more that they could counter with but like I said at the beginning when you don't have that and look Auburn is what they are at this point in the year we've said that for <laughs> weeks now you've got to play really good team basketball and you have got to do a lot of the dirty work well. And outside, after the first 15 minutes, not only did Auburn get pounded on the boards, and it was just like it felt like Kentucky was winning every 50-50 ball, and they were and they were making plays left and right. Kentucky goes on that run late in the first half. And again, this is Auburn starters on the floor. We've talked about in the past, you know, the the old Miss game where it was like, okay, you know, your bench didn't really help you out there. This was Auburn starters are on the floor, and you could tell. Kentucky's hitting shots. They're getting good looks. They're getting some of those kick-out threes. Um, they're getting to the basket. And you can tell Auburn, those those frustrations on defense against a really good offense carried over into their own offense, and they weren't connected and together on offense. There were a lot of forced shots. There were a lot of bad looks that Auburn was running themselves into. It bore itself out with the assist. As Bruce, I mean, Bruce probably, in between the two press conferences he did after the game, I think Bruce Pearl probably mentioned the lack of assist, the four assists like five times. Like, it stands out in a game like this where early on, and it, and it's not even just assists, like early in the game, Janai Broom had seven of Auburn's first nine, hit all of his shots, missed a couple, and then came back in and hit another one. Jalen Williams goes on a hot run there to help Auburn take the lead again. And then neither of those guys really make an impact on offense the rest of the game. But again, they have to get the ball in their hands. Like people have, like they Auburn has to pass better, they have to create more for them, and they just didn't. 
in this one. And you had a lot of, you know, a, a lot of shots and possessions where things are forced and they weren't going down. It's frustra- frustrating. As Bruce Pearl said after the game, it felt like Auburn's guys were just not playing together, not playing well together. Here's another really good quote from Pearl about this. He said, we weren't helping each other out, and that's the key to being able to play in a hostile environment, trusting each other and relying on each other on both ends of the floor. And we didn't. So 100% Drew in this game. Auburn did not play like a team that was together. And again, if you don't play together and you don't play consistently together and tough and hardworking and all that, doing all of the intangible stuff, in a game like this, when you're playing on the road against a team with a lot of talent and a lot of athleticism in one of the biggest arenas in college basketball and a team that is figuring stuff out and, and is, is getting hot at the right time, if you don't do all of those things, that's how you get blown out. Like you, you That's how you get from like not having – because the Tennessee game on the road, A&M, but I think Tennessee's a good – Alabama from us game. Auburn played together and played hard and played well. Uh, for a lot of those for a lot of those games to be able to overcome for the fact that this team has its challenges has its deficiencies has its issues they've been able to overcome that this game they didn't and when you're not assisting each other and you're not playing together on defense a team like Kentucky will just rip you in half and that's what happened in this game and so that's why Auburn went from a team that has been grinding out and gritting out these close tough performances and, and, you know, a good chunk of them been losses to one where they get the doors blown off of them for the first time in a long time. That's why it's a, it's a bad matchup and you did not do the things to help overcome the bad matchup. And that's how, that's how it goes from a loss of a, a potential loss into a, a really ugly one. So let's look ahead to what happens here moving forward for Auburn. You play Alabama on Wednesday night in Coleman, it's going to be tough. It's going to be it's gonna be rough. It's, Alabama, I think I was looking, you know, I was keeping an eye on that game. Arkansas led for most of the first half. It seemed like Alabama took it control of it midway through the second half, pulling out a win. They're a win away from an outright SEC title. They've already clinched a share at least. Um, it's going to be really, really tough. Um, it's a rivalry game. Alabama would love the sweep, especially at home, especially with what Auburn did to him last season. Again, when you look back at what Auburn did well in that first matchup against Alabama, it was the defense, the, the the fact that they were able to prevent uh, Brandon Miller from hitting shots. It was the fact that you know they did a good job of doing a lot of the the rebounding and the hustle stuff. To overcome, like, you know, they gave up a lot at the rim. Um, but, you know, they led most of the way. And they didn't get stops down the stretch. You know, they picked their poison. Um, it just, they couldn't, they couldn't do enough to get over the hump. Um, it'd be interesting to see what kind of counters they have to that. But it's going to be a really, really tough matchup. And then you've got Saturday against Tennessee where, you know, Tennessee smacked South Carolina on on Saturday so they've they've kind of picked themselves up off the mat a little bit but you're in a position now if you're Auburn where we talked about it, it was in the mailbag on Friday if you wanted to want to check it out um or wrote about it in the observations on Sunday here's where you are if you're Auburn 
You need to win one of these last two games to feel confident about making the NCAA tournament. Now, losing to Kentucky by 32 on the road is tough, and it affects the calculus for sure. However, we woke up on Sunday morning and realized maybe it's not as dreadful as we thought it was going to be. Auburn only fell three spots to number 36 in net. They fell three spots in net earlier in the week for beating Ole Miss by four, right? So the mar- you know, somebody on Twitter pointed out, pointed out to me that, you know, we don't know the raw number of net. Like, we don't have, like, an actual – we just didn't know how it compares to everybody else. So, like, maybe, maybe Auburn only falls three spots after getting blown out because, you know, there's just bigger gaps – between those spots and there were, you know, earlier in the week. That could be that could be the case. But Auburn is still projected to make the NCAA tournament pretty much everywhere. They're now 9, 10 seed a lot of places. 11 seed, a couple things. 11 seed is the danger zone. That is, um, you know, your first four, the teams that play in, in Dayton uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday of the tournament, those are 11 seeds. Those are those are the last four 11 seeds of the six. The six, you know, the last four of the six 11 seeds they play in to do that. Those are the last four at-large bids in the tournament. Auburn will not be worse than an 11 seed in the NCAA tournament because they can't be a worse than 11 seed in the NCAA tournament. 12 seeds are when you start putting in teams that were smaller conference champions. That's why Auburn's either going to be an 11 seed, a 10 seed, or but like, or they're not making the tournament. That's that's where where they're at. They're teetering on the edge of getting to that spot where they're, you know, last four teams to get a bye, where they don't have to play in Dayton. T rank, which projects out the rest of the season, currently has Auburn uh, with eighty percent chance to make the NCAA tournament, getting that large bid. If they lose both of their games this week, that number drops to sixty five percent. I think between that and the net rankings, you may sit here and say, well, there's no chance that Auburn gets in if that. I'm telling you, the bubble, what else is happening around the bubble in college basketball is pretty weak. Auburn's metrics still don't hurt them a ton compared to other teams that are fighting to get into the tournament. They don't have a bad loss to a bad team. They don't have, um, you know, they have some quality wins. They don't have, like, a, you know, a lot of, really like a ton of like they're not propped up by a ton of a ton of quad four wins or anything like that they're still on track to make the tournament right now it does get more challenging if you don't beat Alabama or Tennessee this week you are going to head into the SEC tournament sweating and you will probably be sweating on selection Sunday unless you win like three games in Nashville and maybe knock off a couple of really good teams in the process. So it comes down to Alabama or Tennessee. And you win one of those two, you jump back up to like an 80% chance of getting in the tournament, 85, 90% chance, you know, depending on where you look. And eight seed, nine seed, you're, you know, maybe even seven seed in some places. You feel, you feel, feel good if you win one of these two. So even when you lose by 32 at Rupp, as bad as it was, I think when you look to the rest of college basketball over the weekend and you look at the numbers, it's not as big of a blow as we thought it was going to be originally. That's a good sign for Auburn, but also 
it doesn't save them. They still have to take care of business down the stretch. And, yeah, you know, you don't want to completely rule out a team before they go somewhere, like on Saturday, uh, on Wednesday night against Alabama. But it is projecting closer to, like, a do-or-die game against Tennessee next Saturday at at Neville Arena. And that that could be – I mean, it, it could end up being one of the biggest games in Auburn basketball's recent history. And, uh, I, I don't imagine quite an environment. I would imagine. I don't imagine I'm telling anyone listening to this something they don't already know. Uh, just keeping that Alabama game competitive is is probably the best you're going to do. I mean, I, you know, again, as you say, you play. What is it that Herm said? Uh, you, you play to win the game. However, I think from a from a more holistic standpoint, uh, just keeping it close. So that when you probably lose, there's not a whole lot of movement, and then you you know you, you know what you got to do when you get back home against yeah. Tennessee. Um, nobody wants to talk about keeping a a game close just so that you can lose to your rival. Um, right. But considering the likely outcome and what you still have to play for with the uh, remaining regular season, I, I mean, sorry, I, I think that's where you're at. It's going to be a whole lot of soul-searching, I think, this week from Auburn, where you look and say, okay, you watch the film, you see a lot of where you just kind of dropped your head and and, and didn't give your get didn't give the effort you needed to in the second half. I think there's going to be a lot of that where it's like, you know, this week you've got to do everything that you possibly can. And, of course, I mean, you always play, you know, always play hard, or you always – play going in with this this mindset but like really now it's just it is do or die mode uh for Auburn now like I said there is a there is a scenario where you lose both of these games this week win a couple in Nashville and you may still get into the tournament you may be going to Dayton at that point but it's possible it it, it, it's it's 100% possible but you don't want to be in that position and you can prevent yourself from being in that position by just getting one of these two just getting one of these two in, in, in the last week. And so it does make the margins thinner getting smacked like this by by Kentucky uh, on the road. Um, but, again, like it's kind of one of those things we were talking about earlier. Like if you you get blown out, you get blown out. You lose on the road big, you lose on the road big. I mean, it could have been 40, it could have been 20, and it, like it still probably was going to end up being the same kind of result for Auburn in the grand scheme of things. So we'll see how it goes and it's just like this team needs this team needs to find a way to come together and play the type of to, you know cohesive high chemistry team basketball that I know that they can play cuz they've played it uh, several times this year they got to do it against some two really talented teams see if they can see if they can pull out a win and then go into the tournament and say okay you know, can some of the can some of this like close game luck that they haven't they haven't gotten can it fall their way down down the stretch? It's just like we said with the scheduling. It, there's so much about Auburn basketball this season that's come down to timing. You know, losing Wendell Green at USC, not having Chance Westry for pretty much all the season. The the way the schedule went from being like easier in the first half to nightmare in the second half and the way the run in like when you need a win and it's like okay well can you beat win at Kentucky or at Alabama or against Tennessee it's like okay great it's just only the three most talented teams in this conference um you know that 
it's all about timing, and the timing has not been on Auburn's side. But it's the cards that they've been dealt, and you just got to overcome it if if you're the Tigers. So we'll see how it goes. It's just that that Kentucky game again. I think it showed a lot of the deficiencies Auburn has had this season. You combine that with a lack of real effort and togetherness in the second half, and it just it just got really ugly. Um, so a lot of people are going to be coming out of this game talking about the future and talking about what ha- has to happen next. Keep in mind, there's still opportunities ahead of this team, and as it stands right now, they are not out of the NCAA tournament picture yet. You got to look at what else is happening in college basketball, and you got to realize, like, yeah, it hasn't been great for Auburn, but it hadn't been great for a lot of these other teams on the bubble either, and that's important. Don't know why I wanted to call Herm Edwards Herb Edwards. Kind of rude. Herb? Herb. Herb. I think it kind of fits him. Um, all right. Let's take care of some business real quick. If you would like to support our show even further, go to homefieldapparel.com and buy a t-shirt. Buy a t-shirt of us, our logo. Just search Auburn Observer. It's the most comfortable Navy Navy t-shirt you can you can find anywhere with our logo. Nice, tasteful, you know, chest print. It's not the it's not the big giant uh logo even though we are vain people we didn't have a, the most vain shirt in the world uh but homefield's got got you hooked up uh there 15 percent off your first order at homefield apparel if you type in the promo code observer there's also a lot of really good um auburn stuff there some baseball stuff auburn baseball getting off to a good start here um this season as we've as you noticed had to play usc at home this weekend um, due to some insane weather happening in Southern California. Um, but, uh, yeah, a lot of really, really good stuff at homefieldapparel.com. For Auburn fans, check it out there. As we said earlier, you can rate, review, and subscribe to the Auburn Observer wherever you listen to your podcasts. Reviews really help us out on Apple, uh, and you can also give us five stars on Spotify. Help us out there. Painter, spring football is upon us. We'll talk about it here shortly want to let everyone know before before we move on auburnobserver.com if you like the show and you want more of it you can subscribe and you will get not only our po- you know this podcast twice a week you also get all of the friends of the program pods which i believe there's one coming up here this week is that correct I mean, we're going to record monday and i believe the episode will come out wednesday morning Ahead of the biggest week for Auburn basketball and a, and a tense week, uh, Painter and Pablo and uh, and Dave will will uh, will be back on the mic, so you can get that if you're an Observer subscriber, and also you get all of the newsletters that I write a lot of the po- pregame, postgame, in-game, off-season, in-season analysis from Auburn football and men's basketball. All right, here's the thing: to celebrate the start of spring football, we're going to offer a discount to folks if they want to subscribe that's going to come up that's going to go live on monday morning all right so by the time you're listening to this on monday you can either click a you can click the link in the description click the button in your email we if you're not a observer if you're not an observer subscriber already and you want to be a new new subscriber we will give you a discount on your first full year of the observer uh, and it's going to be 40 bucks it's usually 60. We'll give you 40. 33. That's a third off for a full year of the Observer. Your first full year of the Observer for just $40. It's the lowest price we've offered, I believe. But we're going to run that special through spring spring football. We get it. 
inflation, the economy, other words that go above my head. Between the end of basketball season, postseason, and spring football, we're going to have a ton of stuff. So it's, it's going to be the perfect time to sign up. It'll be $40. That goes live on Monday morning. Check it out Monday morning. If you're a new subscriber to The Observer, you can get your first year for 40 bucks. Lowest price we've offered. And yeah, well, you'll get a you'll get your whole year uh, for that for just one flat forty dollars. So Monday we have uh, Auburn's first spring practice uh, of the new era under the new coaching staff. Let's see that Monday there is a viewing window uh, on Monday afternoon. At, I think it's at four o'clock, four thirty, four forty. That the media is going to be able to watch practice. They'll talk to Hugh Freeze afterwards. We'll have a newsletter on Monday, a football newsletter on Monday. And basically, here's the here's the gist of it. If you want to take advantage of the discount, if you want to be a new subscriber, if you want to take advantage of the discount, if you sign up on Monday morning, as soon as we get done with the viewing window on Monday afternoon, I'm gonna write up I'm gonna write up all the observations from the viewing window and I'm gonna send those out. On, on Monday evening to everybody who's a subscriber. You'll, they'll be, we're not, you don't have to wait till Tuesday morning. We're going to pop them right in your, your inbox on Monday evening. And if you want them, if you want the insight from what happens in, 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 in spring, in the first day of spring practices, tomorrow will be a great morning to sign up. I would tell you sign up right now if you're listening to this on a Sunday. We're going to make, just because of stuff on the back end, we'll make it go live on, on Monday. So check out Auburn Observer tomorrow. You get forty dollars for your first year instead of the usual sixty, and we will have not only a news newsletter Monday morning for everybody, but observations from the first viewing window of spring practice will go out Monday early evening, uh, depending on where you are in the world. So it's a great time to sign up because you'll you'll be able to get those observations. You'll get all the stuff we have the rest of the week, basketball and football. And you're in for a whole year. You won't have to. It won't renew until this time next year. So it's a great time to sign up. Go ahead and get locked in for the next 365 days. AuburnObserver.com. All right. Like we said, spring football is about to start here on Monday. And to wrap up the show, the rest of the rest of this episode, Peter, I just want to talk about spring ball and what we are looking forward to hearing about and seeing from the Tigers as they start this new era under Hugh Freeze and this new staff. And, I mean, there's a whole lot of new with this team. There's so many new players, so many new coaches, um, and it does feel like they're going to come into spring ball with a clean slate for pretty much everybody. We were talking about this the other day when I was on the drive with, with Bill Cameron on, on ESPN in town. If you had to go in and say these players are definitely going to start this season and you know exactly where they're going to start, like what position, I think you may only could have like three guys you feel super confident about. And for me, it's like Jarquez Hunter is going to be your starting running back. Alex McPherson is going to be your starting kicker. And Oscar Chapman is going to be your starting punter. Honestly, everywhere else, it's up for grabs. Because like you can even look at in the secondary and say, well, you know, DJ James is back and Nehemiah Pritchett is back and all these other guys that you, you brought back, or Keontae Scott and other guys like that are still here. And I would say, 
Yeah, but we don't know where they necessarily play in this defense and where they fit in this scheme. You may sit here and say, oh, you feel good about the transfers on the offensive line. Maybe a center maybe a center like Avery Jones. Maybe Avery Jones you feel good about as being your starting center. But they still got to go out there and earn it. They still got to go out there and win the job. And where everything fits together is going to be fascinating to watch. And so that's the thing to me is that we're going to start – like it's a lot of puzzle pieces at this point and where they all fit and how they all fit together and what order and you know and all that – we're going to start to kind of put it together in the spring. It won't be a finished product. This ain't going to be a finished product until deep into the fall. But we're going to start to see where the pieces all kind of start to sort themselves out. And that's that's pretty exciting, I think, if you're an Auburn fan or just looking at it because it's like, what does a team – I mean, it's going to be a lot of change, but what does a team that <laughs> has had two losing seasons in back-to-back years need more than change? They need – to overhaul a lot of things, and this is the perfect opportunity. The clean slate's on its way. I'm in an unusual spot because I think the two things I'll be most curious about are offensive line rotation, something that often is overlooked because we want to focus mm-hmm. on skill position players and the quarterback, and I just – there's so many variables at quarterback right now that I, I don't want to go all in on that, and it'll be talked about regardless yeah. Um, and, and the offensive line, as you say, it's it's still a moving target. It's spring. It's early. They're going to be playing with that. The other thing is I'm ready to talk about wide receivers, which is another position where you can get tricked because, as we know, everyone's showing promise. Everyone's in great shape. Everyone is <laughs> going to have their best season, uh, I think, especially right. at that position. Um, two positions where Auburn has just been wholly underwhelming for a long time, offensive line and wide receiver, and yet here I am clamoring to talk about it and to to eager to see or eager to hear what the staff has to say about those two position groups. Well, let's talk about those two position groups cuz I mean those are those are great position groups to talk about when you when you're looking at the spring going into it. Offensive line first and foremost. So Auburn brings in three FBS transfers on the offensive line in Avery Jones, the center from East Carolina, Gunnar Britton, the tackle from Western Kentucky and Dylan Wade, the tackle from Tulsa, who played under Auburn offensive coordinator Philip Montgomery with the Golden Hurricane. They also brought in Isaiah Miller, a JUCO offensive tackle, big guy, flipped him. I believe it was Texas Tech. I want to, I might be, I might be screwing, screwing myself up there with other guys. But yeah, they got him in this. It was a really big. He's a huge, massive guy that they brought in this cycle. I haven't really talked about Miller as much and I've and I've because I think there's been a whole lot of focus on the on the FBS guys transferring in because you bring in two FBS tackles, but like also you have another guy in JUCO that you expect to contribute play right away. Be interested to see of those three incoming tackles, Auburn needed tackles desperately, Wade, Britton, Miller, who positions themselves to be starters, what does it look like, who plays left and who plays on the right? And then it's like you're developing the next wave. You know, you got a guy like Colby Smith, massive guy's been at Auburn for a couple of years. Is he going to make a move? Are some of these freshmen going to be able to turn head and say, hey, even though they're freshmen, because they crack the two deep early? That tackle spot's really interesting. Avery Jones makes a ton of sense as you're starting center this season because A, Auburn's center spot was just such a mess last year. Nick Brahms has to retire early. You have Tate Johnson getting hurt early in the year just does not does not click 
you go and get a guy who's had starting experience at the group of five level, one of the better centers in uh, the group of five coming into Auburn. That feels pretty good. Your guard spots. Jeremiah Wright, back for another season. Seems to be settled his home on the offensive line. Hopefully the staff doesn't think, like, yeah, you might want to move him 12 more times. Offense to defense. What guard spot does he fit in best at? Is that his guard is his best spot? Are, are some of the tackles that Auburn have brought in, are, the, are they swing guys? Like, we will see what that looks like. And then your other guard, you know, Cam Stutz comes back for another year. He does have starting experience, a lot of starting experience. Or, I'm sorry, a lot of experience. He does have starting experience. Uh, been around the program for a while. Or is this going to be an opportunity for some of the younger guys some of the, some of the others to step up and make a move in the in the spring. I don't think you're going to get to the end of spring ball and say here's your starting five. Here's it's locked in no matter what. I do think you're going to get a better idea of who's going to play where and who's going to compete where. And when things get finalized in the fall, you kind of know it's going to be this guy, this guy, this guy, the, these these positions. But so much of the offensive line is not just hey who's the best left tackle, who's the best left guard, who's the best right tackle. It's who's the best five that play together the best, that, you know, the combinations work the best. They, you know, accentuate each other's strength. Like, who 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 plays the best together? And that only comes through trial and error. It only comes through being in the fire uh, together, and this is where it starts. You get 15 practices to start playing with all the combinations. And, and, and also, on top of that, teaching these guys how to do things in this offense. Like, you know, Dylan Wade comes from Tulsa, so he's familiar with Philip Montgomery. But also, like this is there's gonna be new schemes and new, um, you know, new plays, new play calls, new terminology that you've got to get get used to. And so it's it's good. There's gonna be a lot thrown on that offensive line early. And like you said, Painter, Auburn has been so underwhelming on the on the line of scrimmage these last few years. They recruited both in the portal and in high school recruiting better in a couple months than they have done in years on the offensive line. But the problems aren't all fixed. It's going to take years of doing that to overcome all that. But this year on the field, it's like, okay, how much can you can you click early on with a group that we've talked about it a ton of times before. Like, if you're not good on the offensive line, it's going to show pretty much every play because the offensive line, no matter what play call you, you run, your offensive line's got to work on every single snap. I don't know what level that is going to take Auburn to compared to its three largest, its three most important rivals. But when you compare it to Ole Miss, Arkansas, and Mississippi State, I think the most important games on your schedule this year that are winnable, coupled with, I think, what is an extremely favorable non-conference schedule, plus you draw Vandy out of the East. I mean, those those players may end up being a large part of why you're able to win eight games if things go well for you. And uh, among the many things I've gotten wrong as a take-haver and predictor over the last few years, I, I think one of them was subscribing to the notion that you could not revamp your offensive line through the portal. Now, it's uncommon. Auburn is an outlier in this regard. Uh, but I guess some credit is due given... Uh, some credits due to the staff, given how much we're going to end up talking about the offensive line in spring ball and throughout the season, because it's simply so imperative for Auburn to be competitive in the middle portion of, of conference play with that sort of middle tier of team for for that group to look better than it has basically in the last five years, or probably at least as good as it, it was in the 2019 season. 
Yeah, and I, I think that's the thing with Auburn is that I think your skill position talent is usually going to be better than most of the teams in the SEC year in and year out. But those teams have been able to overcome some of those talent gaps against you because they have been better at the line of scrimmage. And that's one of those things where you want to recruit really well at the uh, on the offensive line, right? You want to have – it's better to have blue chips than non-blue chips. But offensive line is one of those position groups. Look at the NFL. Look at you know, other places where guys that weren't elite prospects coming out of high school can end up becoming some of the best not only in college ball but in the pro ball as well. And so Auburn has not had – you know, Auburn has had other teams be able to pass them up or beat them on the field here in these last few years because they have the line play to get it done. And uh, that's going to be so crucial for Auburn here moving forward. Um, and so you start to figure that out here in spring ball. Wide receiver. Let's talk about wide receiver before we go because I like, I, like, I like where your head's at with the wide receivers. Here's the thing about Auburn, and I wrote about this last week. You bring back Javarius Johnson and Coy Moore, your top two targets from last year. So you're not starting from square one on the offense at wide receiver. Now, I'm sure everyone's going to have a clean slate. I'm sure everyone's going to be able to, you know, earn their own playing time, right? You know, that's what Hugh Freeze and, and the other coaches have talked about. But we know Hugh Freeze's track record of big dudes working really, really well in his offense, right? Look at some of the guys he had at Ole Miss. He's had he had some big guys at um, at, at Liberty. I think uh, Antonio Gandy Golden's probably the best example of that. Um, big dudes can thrive in this offense, especially if you're going to do kind of like what Philip Montgomery's done. You saw what Tennessee's had in the past or the past couple of years: spread the field, stretch the field, um, win one-on-one matchups downfield, try to get teams in in, in bad spots. Get your big guys and your fast guys to, to, to play well together. But it's that size, right? Javarius Johnson is a really, really good slot receiver, really good deep threat uh, as a smaller dude because he just has the jets and the route running to get past a lot of folks. Coy Moore last season comes into Auburn, and it wasn't a great year for Auburn throwing the ball all together. But, like, man, Coy had several really good games and, uh, you know, and, and really helped Auburn a lot um, to get into that point. Coy's 6'1", I believe. And Javarius is sub six foot. Who's going to be the big guy that steps up in this room? Is is my big question. Camden Brown looks like everything you want at this position. The fact that Camden Brown had two touchdown catches last year and only nine catches overall, I think is pretty criminal by the previous coaching staff of not using that guy more. Same reason they didn't use Landon King enough, and he ended up leaving the team in the middle of the year. Now he's back. Landon King's another guy. Is he a tight end? Is he a wide receiver? We'll see. We know the hybrids have really worked in Freeze's offense in the past. So, like, you have – and there's some other guys, Chick Dawson, um, Malcolm Johnson Jr. There's some of the smaller guys uh, that, you know, you at least can see where the potential is there or have returning production like the two guys I talked about earlier. It's the big guys. Like, who's going to go win these one-on-one matchups downfield? Auburn – Auburn needs another Seth Williams. They need another Duke Williams. They need another one of the uh, you know, Sammy Coates too, uh, as well. Like they need some of these bigger outside guys that can go win these one on one. Derry Slayton, again, you know Slayton and Coates weren't like 
the, the they weren't you know DK Metcalf, but um, you know they weren't Julio Jones, but like bigger guys who can win one on one matchups downfield. Who are those guys going to be? And you look at you know you look at Cameron Brown, you look at Landon King, you look at Nick Marner, the six six guy they brought in from Cincinnati who played for Marcus Davis at Hawaii. There's a number of these guys. It's like, all right, who's going to step up and do that? Because you can see where some of those, you know, some of the smaller guys, the shiftier guys, where you could say, okay, you can spread the field and win with those. But to take your passing game to the next level, to maximize what you've got in that room and maximize who you have as your play caller and as your offensive minds, your brain trust there, you need you need some you need some size. You need some possession. You need some guys who can go up and get it. And so, I'm not going to be surprised at all. And we talked about him recently in our in our spring breakout draft last week. I'm not going to be surprised at all if Cannon Brown has another great uh, great practices because it's just like, yeah, I mean that dude. He's big. He's fast, and he and he and he just makes plays. But can you consistently bring that forward? And like you said, Painter. Passing game, your quarterback, like, there's only so much you're going to learn. Like, I think Auburn, your best case scenario at quarterback is if you come out of spring ball and say, man, a healthy and under new management, Robbie Ashford looks better throwing the ball. Like, I think that's your best. I think that's doesn't guarantee anything in the fall. doesn't guarantee a starting job. I think that's the best case scenario for you. So, I mean, there's only going to be so much you learn from that in your passing game as a whole, but at wide receiver, it's like, okay, who are the guys you can be able to lean on and, and count on? And is it going to be a situation where is Auburn going to go hunting for more of them in, in the transfer portal, uh, you know, in, 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 in the second window? We've talked about that with quarterbacks, but could be other offensive weapons you could, you could add on to in that room. We spend a little bit of time talking about trying to see through – uh, certain narratives or, or when to put a little bit more emphasis on what's coming out of uh, a coach's mouth or, or the perceived company line. And one of the things I'll be curious about is as we exit spring practice, do they take the tone of, uh, well, Robbie Ashford showed development and there's promise and there's a long way to go, but we feel good about it. I mean, just sort of competent, positioning that you feel all right about where Robbie is, or is it more of a, you know, cautious, um, tenor where it's like, uh, you know, instead of coming out right and saying, well, we, we feel good about where he's at. It's like, there's just a lot of work to do because again, I, I think in spring and fall practices, you tend to get a lot of the positives about how people, um, look physically and, and, how much they've learned. And so like the default is that everybody is doing well. Um, how much do they couch that versus how aggressive are they with their positioning on publicly positioning where they think their uh, likely starting quarterback is? I mean, I, I'm with you. I don't think Auburn's done uh, or I don't want to put words in your mouth. I don't think Auburn's done trying to bring another quarterback in, but it also just might not be possible. I don't, I don't think they're going to stop trying, but I think if you're looking at what Auburn's options are now, you have some sort of answer in Robbie. How far that takes them, I don't know. But this is all a winding way of, of saying I'm curious to see what sort of public positioning they take on Robbie uh, and sort of the how much credit they're willing to give him after a few weeks of practices. 
Yeah, that's that's going to be something that'll be interesting to see because everybody's going to be asking about Robbie. And everybody's going to be asking about the quarterbacks, and not to throw out TJ or um, Holden as well because I think again, clean slate. You know, it's who's going to who's going to impress, who's going to look look the best. You know, in in spring practices to the new coaches, but yeah, like I, I would be surprised if Auburn doesn't get another quarterback in the in the portal in the second window because I just think they're going to need another one um, because I don't know if everybody's still going to be here in, in, in a few months. Um, I just new staff. It's just attrition may, it may happen. I do want to say something right now that I, <laughs> we've talked about on this podcast before and man, I really got this wrong. And, uh, I want to clarify something here real quick. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast or not yet or not. I have to do this clarification. Better a couple months ago, we were talking, maybe last month, we talked to our buddy Jordan Hill about the Georgia quarterback battle and what is happening there um, at the position. And the thought process that, okay, maybe one guy jumps into the transfer portal and, um, you know, maybe Auburn, having recruited some of these guys in the past, could jump in and get them. All well and good. Makes sense, right? It's brought to my attention by somebody who's very, very, very much smarter than me, especially when it comes to recruiting. Hint, hint, it's Christian Clemente. It's brought to my attention recently that the inner SEC transfer rule to be eligible immediately is still in place where you have to get it done earlier. Like it has to be, the deadline is still in February, I believe. It's like February 1st, something like that. So it, it would have had to have been the earlier window for it to happen, for them to be eligible immediately. So, a Georgia quarterback could go into the portal. Another quarterback in the SEC could go into the portal in May, but they would not be eligible immediately without some sort of special secret super waiver from the SEC in the fall. So, keep that in mind because I know we've talked about, hey, just you know, maybe look at maybe look at whoever comes out of that Georgia battle and transfers. I have to be corrected on these matters. As it stands right now in the SEC, if you want to transfer from from an SEC school to another SEC school and you're not a graduate transfer and you're not eligible immediately no matter what, you got to do that earlier. So, sorry. <laughs> sorry sorry, to put people's hopes up on Yeah, that there one. might be help on um, the way, but perhaps not from... Not from UGA or from another SEC school as well I, at the quarterback spot. Um, I just... I had completely... That had completely, like past me uh, in the process. And so got to issue that correction because that's a pretty big one on our end. Uh, but, yeah, it, we'll see. I mean, because that's the other thing when it talks about, like, who is quarterback? Who's going to be available? And, like, who's going into the portal? And is that going to be a guy that you think, oh, this dude is a starter no matter what? Or is this going to be one of those, like, hey, you bring him in and let him compete again in the fall? And then if you do that, it's like, that's going to be a lot to pick up and, 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 and get ready to go with quickly over the course of the summer and, and fall camp. I think that'll do it. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, appreciate everybody listening. I know the basketball discussion uh, was probably not the most heartwarming for those of you who are Auburn fans. But, look, like we said, Auburn's not out of it by any means, and everything's right in front of them here for the last week. Be interested to see how they pick themselves off the map because here's the thing: we have not seen Auburn lose like that in a while. So how they respond and how they how they go off of that, I think, is going to be very telling moving forward. Spring football underway on Monday. Like I said earlier, 
If you want to subscribe to The Observer, we would love to have you at any time. But you might, to save to save some money, you might want to check it out Monday morning. We'll have a newsletter out. And then also, if you sign up tomorrow, you will get our observations from practice Monday evening. We will send them out to everybody on Monday evening. We won't make you wait for the Tuesday morning uh, newsletter. We'll just go ahead and get them out there to you. Um, so sign up for The Observer. It is going to be uh, $6 a month, or I'll just get, I mean, $40 is going to be what we're going to do for a full year. We'll have that special running through spring practice, so it's a good time between spring ball and basketball postseason to sign up and be a part of the Observer here for the next year. That's it for me. Uh, i got to go catch a flight here in a few hours. Painter, final thoughts. You didn't have a pretzel yet, ice cream, right? Yeah, so they did have pretzels there. Apparently, soft serve ice cream is like the biggest deal at Rupp Arena, and somebody—I had multiple people tell me that on the way, you know, on the way to the game. And then I get there, and I caught them at a good time because the line wasn't long. The line was like super long the rest of the game, and I have some friends who are Kentucky fans that are like, "Yeah, you got to get it as soon as you get there, otherwise you're going to be standing in line most of the game." So, as I put on Twitter. Soft serve ice cream is the Kentucky version of a pretzel. <laughs>